It's preparing. Good to go. All right. All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Turn on the Jets Live. I'm your host, Stephen Zance, joined by my co-host, Stephen Russo. We have a very special guest. He was familiar to both Turn on the Jets and Badlands. He's also working for Bleacher Report and SMY, Mr. Connor Rogers. What's up, guys? What's up, guys? Stephen and Stephen. I like yes. the uh, I like the vibes. I like the vibes. <laughs> yeah. No, we're really excited, and I know you obviously been doing a huge breakdown of the draft, and I know we got plenty of questions to come your way from both myself, Stephen, and also some of our followers of the site. Uh, you know, Stephen, let's just get it firing away. Yeah, Connor, appreciate you joining with us. A uh, lot of good feelings coming from, uh, you know, from the Jets fan base. So uh, I'd like to, you know, we've had almost two weeks here to let the draft settle in. So I kind of want to talk just top line uh, with you, how you feel about the draft overall, how Joe Douglas kind of positioned himself with obviously a lot of holes to fill. And then knowing what we know now and how the board broke, how do you feel like he went after the draft, attacked positions of need, you know, kind of top line, how'd you feel? Honestly, really good. And that's not just me saying it, you know, because it's the Jets. I think when you look at it, they number one had a clear understanding of what needed to be done. And that is after you take the quarterback that you knew were taking for quite some time, uh, you need an infusion of offensive talent for him to succeed. And, you know, unfortunately, not only us, but Joe Douglas had a front row seat to watching a young, talented quarterback uh, fail. Now, I will say, while you know, Darnold absolutely had his own problems, but everything around him collapsed as well. And I think, you know, there was just a lot of obvious problems with the Jets over the years. You can get into the coaching. You can get into the the bad drafts. You can get into, quite frankly, a lack of an investment at areas that help a quarterback, whether it is the offensive line, whether it is wide receiver talent, whether it is actually developing an identity of a ground attack to open up the passing game. And I think with this draft compared with a coaching staff that I believe we're all optimistic about, it, it all just makes sense, right? It's sometimes in football, you can actually see things coming together and you go, well, that aligns with that. And I felt like while covering or watching the jets over the years during the Gase era, and honestly times of the bulls era, although it doesn't get talked about a lot, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of alignment with what they were trying to do with the ball on offense or, you know, what they were trying to do as an identity as a whole. And I think with this, you know, obviously they had significant holes at guard and mm. Vera Tucker was the only guard I'd given a first round grade to in this draft. I love his athleticism. I love his strength and toughness. I love his versatility. It's just a very high floor player in, in something where, you know, like the NFL draft, you don't say that a lot. There's not a lot of players that you think, Hey, it'd be a surprise if this guy didn't pan out. And a lot of people felt that way about Vera Tucker, where the trade up, which I know is causing quite the stir. It's insane. Um, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It was phenomenal and it can be phenomenal for both sides, but getting away from just the obvious of now you have a foundation on the left side of the offensive line that can help you develop a run game that can keep your quarterback upright from his blind slot blind side uh, for the next, hopefully eight to 10 years you went and got probably a first round caliber wide receiver that brings an element to your offense that didn't exist in Elijah Moore, where he can win over the top. He can create his own yards, the ball in his hands, whether that's jet sweeps, whether that's bubble screens, any way you want, even on drag routes across the middle of the field where the space might exist for him because you have contested catch players on the outside and Corey Davis and Denzel Mims 
And Jamison Crowder is still here, who's a very productive player where, you know, I was joking with somebody earlier that, you know, how many teams can say they have Keelan Cole as their wide receiver five on the roster? And we're talking about the New York Jets where you (laughs) trot out Jeff Smith and Braxton Berrios and Vincent Smith. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. It It was a nightmare. Yeah. We still. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know you just touched on Elijah Moore, but um, I'm really curious about Michael Carter. Do you think that there's a realistic chance that he established himself as the running back one? Or if not really the running back one, do you think he could really split work with someone like Coleman or I guess maybe Ty Johnson? Yeah, I, I think you kind of answered your question there uh, quite perfectly, is that th- I don't think a running back one will ever exist in this offense, but I think can a 1A exist? Absolutely. And should that be Michael Carter? It probably will be. It's just a matter of when, not if. And, and you look yeah. at Carter, it was so easy to see the comparables between him and Devontae Freeman uh, when going through this draft class. And you go back to Michael LaFleur's history with Devontae in Atlanta. Devontae had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. And a player that was just a no-brainer scheme fit in that wide zone rushing attack. Carter is almost a clone of him. And he's got soft hands. You really, when you're scouting running backs, the thing I was always taught is at the very baseline, the very simple aspect of scouting them to be draftable. They need to do two of three things. They need to be able to obviously be a good runner, uh, catch the ball or pass protect. And if you can't do two of those three things, it's going to be hard to get on the field early, if at all. And with Carter, he's a very good runner. He's very agile. He can create his own yards with elusiveness. He has the burst to get to the outside, put his foot in the ground and create his own angles and get up the field. And he has very soft hands. He's not the, he's very adequate in pass protection with effort and IQ. I always wonder how that size will translate at the next level. Eventually people are just bigger and stronger and more powerful than you. Like everybody assumed with Saquon Barkley with those quads and everything, he'd be this lights out pass protector. He gets run over all the time. It's just the NFL. It happens. So it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Everyone's stronger. It's it's a whole other game. Exactly. But he can get on the field. He could be the one a right away. I like Ty Johnson. It's hard to find P Ryan's fit in this offense. Pass protection might be the way he has a fit. And then you have Josh Adams. Tevin Coleman carried the ball like 28 times last year. I just you kind of pretend like anything you get out of him is a surprise. So the door is wide open for Carter. And you heard Joe Douglas say it. They would have taken him at 66. When you take a running back at 66, that means they're probably going to get at least 50% of the carries. I love yeah. to hear that. No, it's, that's awesome. But uh, you were touching on really on like LaFleur's scheme. Can you like walk fans through, you know, like what's the zone running scheme? Because I'm not really a big X and O's guy. I know Steve isn't as well. But I feel like some people would definitely love to learn about this scheme in like a simple term. Yeah, I'm very excited to watch what LaFleur does with the, when the reins are off, right? He's had the passing game title coordinator, and I'm very curious to see what principles he brings on his own because, you know, I, I'm guilty of this in the media. We're all guilty of this in the media. Everybody loves to do Kyle Shanahan this, Kyle Shanahan that. And some <laughs> guys, like, might actually have their own ideas. So with LaFleur, the things that at the very baseline that makes sense is, they want a wide zone rushing attack. And what that means is your offensive linemen often, you want them to be explosive off the ball out of their stance. And you're more trying to get to your spot and create an angle rather than necessarily just blocking the man in front of you at its very core principles. That's the goal is it's why it's a zone blocking. When you think about it in zone coverage, translating it to zone blocking, you're blocking the space rather than the player. So in a, in a drive blocking scheme, you know, the guy in front of you, you just have to be stronger and gain leverage and push him backwards. And, you know, teams like the Baltimore Ravens and the Las Vegas Raiders have been recently very good at that. 
Uh, there's not a lot of teams in the NFL that could just do that, though. It's very difficult to pull off. How, how often can you say, hey, our five guys are bigger, stronger than your guys, and we're just going to run it down your throat? <laughs> yeah. And it's a little more difficult than that, but that's you know the basic principles. With the wide zone, you look at the Jets. Makai Becton, for his size, is a tremendous athlete, and we saw him get on the outside last year. I remember the Bills game really caught my eye, and I'm like, wow, he can climb to linebackers and be a force. Vera Tucker, incredible feet, incredible light feet to be a puller, to get out in front, be that lead blocker. George Fant, very good on the move. I know he has his limitations in pass pro because he's not a strongest anchor kind of guy. He's a converted tight end, but he can really move. So what they want to do is they want to create angles in the run game and say, hey, we're going to be more athletic than you, and we're going to get our big guys to your smaller guys, to the second level guys, right? Can we outrun the front guys can carter do that probably you think but can our guards and tackles climb to the linebackers or even the safeties and this is where it goes back to you sign Corey davis and everybody loves Corey davis as a contested catch threat one of the best in the nfl Corey davis is quietly maybe the best or top five run blocking receivers in the nfl and denzel mim showed flashes of hey i can do that too last year so now you have two big-bodied wide receivers that you can use in motion. I know Jets fans have never seen that before. It's crazy, <laughs> but the Jets will use a lot of motion this year where you can bring guys across the formation and get the blocking matchups that you want with big-bodied wide receivers. I know people are, at, are you're kind of down on him, but Chris Herndon is a very good move blocker. He's not an inline, I could block your best pass rusher tight end, but he's, can I get to my spot and create those angles as well? I think Yeboah could even surprise people and do that a little as well. So the Jets are basically trying to win with burst angles, athleticism, and, and create space in a league that that's been the general direction in recent years. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you guys are the lead, you and Joe are the leaders of the Herndon Hive. I've kind of given up on him, but we'll see. <laughs> I have no choice. I'm either down with the ship or, or the, you know, if we reach yeah, land. Yeah. There's just no, I mean, yeah. Had a clear case of the yips last year, but he came on strong at the end of the season. So I think he deserves another shot in new offense. So, Connor, you know, we talk about LaFleur. Obviously, it was a low bar to clear to go from Gase to what we have now, which is great. But And you, you touched on Jamison Crowder, and, and there's a lot of fans that are kind of saying that since they took Elijah Moore, that, you know, those two games are kind of redundant, so maybe Jamison Crowder becomes expendable. But thinking back to Adam Gase, where he couldn't, you know, figure out to get two playmakers on the field at the same time, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Crowder for a Jets team that hasn't had talent at that position for a long time, and now we have legitimately five, you know, decent to good playmakers – uh, you know, is Crowder expendable or do you think the Jets can can find a way and, and keep him make this whole thing work? I, I don't think he's expendable. I, I think the only way I could sit there and make the argument for moving on from Crowder is, hey, we need your $10 million for Richard Sherman or Steven Nelson because we have no corners. And, you know, right now we'll see. They just the Jets don't even need the money to do that. But if they wanted yeah. to stay cap flexible uh, for future years or during the season, I, I get it you don't just cut Crowder for the sake of cutting him because number one, it's a leak riddled with injuries at the wide receiver position. Like no other. I mean, the jets saw this Denzel Mims <laughs> took him so long to get on yeah. the field last year. Yeah. I know even Corey Davis has had every wide receiver in the NFL has injury problems. It's a contact league um, with the amount of working out or the high leverage, you know, ramping up. They do. You're going to have hamstring poles. You're going to have tears. You're going to have strains. You're going to have cramps. You're going to have everything where, you need you need to be deep on your rosters at the skill spots. And going back to what you just said, Stephen, why can't Crowder be on the field with 
for Elijah Moore, right? Like there, I know it's hard to imagine, but there are a lot of successful teams that run four wide receiver sets and you can have Elijah Moore and Crowder in the slots. You can be, yeah. then you're threatening screens on both sides. You're th- two guys that move the chains like no other. Uh, Moore had 55 first down catches last year. I think that might've led the country. It's just insane amount of production moving the chains. We know Crowder has proven to do that at the NFL level. We know that, you know, M- Keelan Cole could play on the outside and the inside. We know Davis and Mims will live on the outside. I-, I just look at this league and the amount of injuries that go on. Why would you cut Crowder and then sit there and go, well, now we're one Elijah Moore rookie injury away from, you know, no knock on the guy, but Barrios starting in the slot, right? It's like, yeah. why- I-, I guess Keelan Cole would play big slot. Either way, why put yourself in that predicament? You're developing a young quarterback in a big jump, BYU to the NFL, the AFC East, which is not friendly to any quarterbacks. Nope. Give him everything <laughs> he needs. And I I just I say roll with Crowder. He's a proven commodity. It's it should feel good to have five NFL starting caliber wide receivers. Yeah, you're you're making me feel better about the receiving core. I mean, I've been saying we should get rid of him just because nine million for a slot guy this year is a lot of money, but at the end of the day, he was the best player on the offense last year, which isn't saying much because the offense was the worst in the NFL by a wide yep. mile. But yep. no, I feel good about it, though, if we do keep him. And, you know, last year, I mean, there were times when earlier in the year they were decimated by injury. And, you know, Braxton Berrios and Jamison Crowder were the two best receivers the Jets had. And Adam Gase couldn't figure out how to get, to get them both on the field at the same time. So it's like, why wouldn't you keep that flexibility, enable yourself to have some depth there for the first time in a long time? and key playmakers that'll help you move the sticks. Absolutely. And another thing, you know, people don't realize is for LaFleur, sure, he can go back and watch as much film as he wants. He hasn't been in camp with these guys yet. He hasn't run a practice with them yet. He might get into camp and go, and I know fans don't want to hear this, but it's the reality of, of, of the NFL. You might go, oh, I don't know if Elijah Moore is ready for, you know, wide receiver three targets, but we have Crowder here who can be, and we'll work more in, you know, we'll ramp up his touches. We'll use him as a vertical guy. We'll get him on jet sweeps and screens and special teams. These guys, and a lot of the problem, a lot of people tell me in the league is it is so hard to evaluate players playing for Adam Gase, where like a lot of people were like, we're done with Herndon, but there's people in the league that are like, we don't really know what the guy is. He just had, you know, sure. There's been a lot of bad with drops and, and, you know, just uh, lapses of IQ at times in the field. But yeah. it's so hard to evaluate talent playing for Adam Gase that they want to get into camp and see all of these guys. Yeah, and I like Herndon did show a little bit towards the later part of the season. I know obviously it wasn't a lot, and we were just holding on for anything because he kind of was a waste in 2019. He basically played one game and was out the rest of the season. But yeah, I, I like to give him another shot considering we really don't have like you know that starting tight end. Tyler Croft could be a nice player, but I don't really see him being you know, someone we can rely on for targets. He's more of a blocking tight end. It definitely fits the scheme really well. Uh, But I do want to transition to defense because obviously that's going to be Salah's bread and butter. And we're really excited to see, you know, actually a pass rush with Carl Lawson and some of the other guys on the defensive line. But one of the things that you did talk about on Badlands, which, you know, not everybody is able to hear, which you should subscribe if you haven't on Patreon, um, was talking about uh, Jonathan Marshall, who was our last pick at defensive line. So, I know you loved him. You were saying he was an athletic freak specimen, you know, it was worth this pick. But for me, that's the one area of strength on the roster. So give me, you know, what do you think was the mindset for Joe Douglas here? Was it maybe a case of best player available or just someone you think he really liked? And they, because I was saying they probably should have took like a guard or maybe another tackle at that spot because they only did take Vera Tucker in the draft. 
Yeah, you're not wrong. It kind of surprised me they didn't double up on offensive line in this draft, but I guess that they, you know, feel comfortable. They might be more comfortable with Camp Clark than any of us are, which is something I'm very curious to see. Now, getting to Marshall, like being transparent, he wasn't in my top 250, and I just overlooked the guy. I just, you know, it's interesting when you watch the fit. It's so interesting to me when you watch a player from a broad perspective, and then you watch a player for what a team drafted him for. And Jonathan Marshall is the perfect example of played nose tackle, and just had no business being there. He gets washed out a lot against the run. If he does, if he doesn't win with explosiveness off the snap and guys get their hands on him, it on the interior, it's tough. It's he's not going to beat double teams. He's going to get washed out against double teams. He's not too gapping. He's not that kind of guy. And you know, it's Arkansas. They, they probably didn't have a ton of solutions. He's a team captain, a hard nosed guy that probably said there said that sat there and said, I'll, I'll play nose. I'll, I'll do the dirty work. I'll do what needs to be done in the, in the SEC. It's you're going to see some bad dudes on the interior offensive line. So then you watch him and think, well, the, we know the Jets didn't draft him to play nose tackle. He's a, a 90, like nine percentile athlete at that position and at that height and weight. And he's so explosive. And it's easy to see the projection of him playing three tech as a pass rusher, right? He's not this rundown kind of, Hey, I'm going to control the point of attack and stop the run. He's a, can we develop his approach and his hand usage? And can a year or two from now, he maybe be our Sheldon Rankins or John Franklin Myers, where not 90% of the snaps, but can pin his ears back can shoot gaps, can win off the ball, understands how to get off blocks and create pressure. And with his athleticism, he's got a shot. So it's interesting to see them do a draft and stash kind of pick a team that can't afford that in a lot of luxuries, but I like it in that spot because the board washes away from you by then where you're betting on an athlete, you're betting on the high character and you're betting on those two things coming together to form an NFL caliber player. So Quinn Williams is going to be the dude this year. They got Rankins who's had health issues, but when he's healthy, he's, he's, he's on, he's a good productive player. JFM is definitely a, an exciting player. We know Foley is the ideal two gapping run stopping nose tackle, but they're looking two years down the road with the Marshall pick and saying, can we stash him? Can we develop him? And he can be a situational interior pass rusher with a lot of upside for us down the road. Yeah. I mean, I trust Salah. I just feel like the work that he did, especially last year with all the injuries that the 49ers had, especially on the defensive line with Bosa. And they also lost um, to Forrest Buckner via trade. I trust him that he's going to make this defensive line actually formidable besides just Quinn and Williams. He gets it with front seven players solid. That was something I always asked about him. Even before he got the jets job is like, what are his strengths? And people always said he knows how to draft and develop front seven players. And he can take the linebacker in the third round and like Fred Warner. And he's, he could be a star because he understands the role for the guys, he understands what they need to work on. Players will work for him. They look at him and go, you respect me. I respect you. I don't want to let you down. And that's that's important in the NFL when you're coaching grown adults that are making a lot of money. So I think that's something the Jets have lacked for a long time. I thought Bowles was very good at getting through to safeties. He played safety in the NFL. I think that overall, they've had a tough go of developing certain positions. And I think with Salah, Jets fans will notice defensive line and even more notably off ball linebacker uh, will be a strength of a team of the team with him. Even when it's not premium players like a $15 million a year, Carl Lawson, he can get more out of the lesser guys.
Makes you feel good about Gerard Davis. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, and that's an interesting one. It's it's going to that'll tell us a lot because Davis had a lot of problems in Detroit. I think a lot of people had a lot of problems in Detroit. And if Davis has this bounce back year on a one year deal where it's like, oh, we're starting to see the green light come on from that first round talent out of Florida that we saw, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 for a linebacker in the Jets defense, it's more run and chase. It's more see ball get ball it's more i'm clean because of the front four but i need to be able to move i i need to be able to really run the flats and cover three and, and i think davis if they i think they can get something out of him i'm not uh, entirely optimistic <laughs> like a lot of people but i do understand the thought behind it all right well we'll see and hopefully he does some magic <laughs> with him i'll take it <laughs> so connor just another kind of broad question for you and as we try to remain objective we're all jets fans we get it but now we've had two off seasons with Joe Douglas, two drafts, two free agency periods. How would you assess him through this? Knowing that he's kind of had to effectively hit the reset button after, you know, years of, of ineptitude. Yeah. I think, you know, what's tough about Douglas is Gase wasn't his coach and he did need to draft for Greg and Gase. He couldn't just completely ignore them. Now, what I'll say is he hired Robert Sala, he drafted Zach Wilson, and that's always going to define his tenure here. But what we can evaluate is Mekhi Becton looks like a hit. I think Denzel Mims will be a hit. I didn't like Zuniga and and Pirine as much, but you can't write them off after a year. I think with Ashton Davis, there's potential there. We'll see. And, And, you know, how he gets negotiates this Marcus May deal will be very telling because we haven't seen him do an extension yet. I'd like... Mm -hmm. These are, there's a lot of unknowns still with Joe Douglas, but what I will stand on the table for and what I will say I really like are a couple of things. One, the man knows how to navigate the draft, and I cannot explain how hard that is to do in real time. I've never obviously run a draft room, but I know that when you're on the clock, fielding those calls and weighing value and understanding not only how to get in and out of picks, but how the board will fall is one of the most vital aspects of the job. McCagnan really struggled with it. Uh, you know, Idzik obviously didn't even try. He just sat where his picks and said, I'm going to take guys here. He had no idea what he was doing. He was a cap guy. What do you expect? Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, with Tannenbaum, <laughs> once Rex got in his ear, things went downhill with the drafts. But Tannenbaum did a really nice job with Mangini, and they maneuvered. They traded up for Darrell Revis. Like, Tannenbaum... Yeah was the last Jets GM I remember that knew how to work the board. And he did it by advisement of a coaching staff. Now we're seeing that with Joe Douglas this year, working with Sala and LaFleur, where it's like, no, we got to go up and get the guard. And I really like what they did with the evaluation of Zach Wilson. And I want to say it was Albert Breer that wrote this. I feel bad if I can't remember who, but they basically all went home and did their tape evaluations and then brought them in collectively together. So there was no biases. There was no, Hey, I like Zach Wilson. I like Zach Wilson. We both like Zach Wilson. It was individual opinions. And they all came back as a collective group and said, we all like Zach Wilson. And so I think one, obviously the draft board navigating and trading and moving in out of picks and acquiring capital. Those are core principles that I believe in as a draft guy. I believe in when you're doing a rebuild, the very core principles are you blow it up and acquire as much draft capital as you can. And then you need to pivot to move in the right spots to rebuild the organization. I know emotionally the Jamal Adams trade sucked, but from a logical level-headed approach, it's you do the move a hundred out of a hundred times for two first rounders and a swap of the four to the three. 
and it could change the Jets franchise ultimately. It really Absolutely. can. Yeah. And, I mean, listen, and, yeah. If, if Vera Tucker becomes, you know, like Quentin Nelson or, you know, David DeCastro, we're not thinking about Jamal Adams anymore because, you know, he's yeah. just a safety. It's not a valuable position. Offensive line is key to winning championships. And they could use the first rounder next year on a corner or an edge rusher. Like it goes on and on. So his core principles coming from Baltimore under Ozzy, I'm a huge fan of, a huge believer in. It's how I would do things, and he knows way more about than me. Worked in the NFL 20 years before getting this GM job, and I've learned from watching him, but also learned from watching people he's worked for, like Ozzy, uh, DaCosta taking over there in Baltimore, you know, some Green Bay principles. So I like his basic ideas. And honestly, the player, I can't even sit there and knock the players that like he takes for the most part, because I value a lot of them the same. Like Vera Tucker was my 13th overall player. Zach Wilson was my second ranked quarterback. Elijah Moore, I think I had 30th overall. He went 34. Like, you know, I, the corners is nitpicking. I, we see things differently there. So either he's right and I'm a little right or we're both wrong and he's fired and I look like an idiot, but like, I can't sit here and knock Joe Douglas because not even doing it as a fan, he drafts after I make my rankings. I align with so many things he does. And I hope he got the coaching staff, right? Because if he did, it will translate to significant results a year or two from now. I feel good about it. I really do. I mean, I think that definitely will transition to the most important thing that's going on with this franchise, which is Zach Wilson. You know, everyone's wondering, like, what are we going to get out of him? What are realist, realistic expectations from him? Which uh, John Gibbs on Twitter wanted to know, like, what do you think is realistic for him? Like, what would you say is a success? We know that we may not win a lot of games, but I know we always stress points, offense, just, you know, being in games versus just being out of the game before halftime, which was basically the entire season last yeah. year. And seeing development, right? It's, yeah, you know, yeah. for the Jets fans this year, it's easy to root for wins for the first time in a while, but it's also easy to root for development. And with that, you know, I, I think with Wilson, you, the thing with Wilson is you don't want to protect him too much because if you don't let him open up and throw the ball down the field, it actually hurts him because the defense will press up, load the box, stop the run. So they need to work hand in hand with each other. They are going to run the ball a lot. And they are going to run play action a lot. And those go hand in hand. And I know play action works without even establishing the run, but you still need to have a good ground attack for the rookie quarterback. So do I think he's going to drop back and throw the ball 45 times a game? I don't. Do I think he can finish the year with 24 touchdowns and, and 12 to 14 picks and you get him to be plus 10 touchdowns to interceptions. That's a really, that's promising. That's a really good sign that, the efficiency we saw at BYU, the decision-making we saw at BYU carried over to the next level while also still being a risk-taker. And what I mean by that is you have two big-body targets in the boundary, two big-body targets that can win outside the hashes that when they're not open, you could still throw them the ball. You just need to put it in the right place. And that's what Wilson is best at. I thought he was better at it than Trevor Lawrence. I, you know what I mean? He's not, he's not a better player than Trevor Lawrence, but ball placement vertically – I thought he was unmatched him and fields were so good at knowing where to put the ball at all three levels of the field. And I think that with Wilson, he has a great rookie situation. As long as the pass protection is right to give Corey Davis and Denzel Mims opportunities. Those guys will love that. When he starts doing that, they will really play for him. Not that they won't, but when they know they have a shot to get the ball, even when they're not open, it gives a little bit of a different mindset for a wide receiver. We saw it in 2015 with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. And those guys had over a thousand yards that year. They were super mm -hmm. productive, double digit touchdowns. So 
I don't have expectations for Zach Wilson to go be Justin Herbert as a rookie or, you know, be this like crazy rookie of the year. I think he can be efficient while still splashing in chunk plays and most importantly, take care of the ball and most importantly, start to build a, a, you know, a rapport with three of these four wide receivers, five wide receivers are expected to be here for the long haul with him. And that's super important. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I like about him, and I was talking to Steve about this last time, we we're doing a little bit of prep is gets the ball out quick. How many times, so you know, fast. going back to Darnold, Sanchez, they Gino, him, by the they way, they literally would hold on to the ball. And that's why they would always turn the ball over because they had, they just were pl- just playing happy feet. It was really frustrating. He gets the ball fast. I really love that about him. And I think that that'll definitely help him in the NFL because if you hold on to the ball, you're going to make mistakes. It's, it's a great point you bring up Steven, because I say that a lot of people fell into the trap of what's the difference between Darnold and Wilson. And, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I didn't think Darnold was at the top 10 player that year where like he got billed as Andrew Luck. Right. And it's a little unfair to Darnold, but it's the nature of the draft. We all do these hyperbole <laughs> comparisons. I'm guilty yeah. of it. Everyone's guilty of it. Darnold had, I remember the first article I ever wrote from Darnold. It was on turn on the jets. It probably doesn't even exist anymore, but it was, before I'll find his, it, for you. <laughs> it was before his final season. And, you know, pros and cons, very basic stuff. And timing was a uh, timing was a real issue with Darnold. And I thought, you know, he, he wasn't a full year starter. He didn't get to work with these guys as much leading into the season. That will come. And it never fully clicked. It was never like, you know, I know the timing of this route and the ball's where it needs to be. It's more of, I don't love how this looks. I'm going to hold the ball and look for something better. And for guys like Mahomes and Rogers and Russ, that does work a lot but you don't want to live and die by that. So with Wilson, he plays hero ball time. So a lot of quarterbacks do. Lawrence does it. Fields does it. Uh, they just love to look for the big play. But I saw a lot of tape of Wilson of, I'm going to take my drop and the ball's out. The ball, I, It's been coached up this way. And I know from Shanahan's passing principles, LaFleur will do the same thing of, this guy is going to be open here. You just need to get the ball out and put it there. They value that more than anything. And a lot of people, including myself, think Zach Wilson can really flourish at that. Yeah, that, that gets me excited. And I think just this offensive staff, I just feel like will make him succeed. I mean, if he doesn't succeed, it's going to be on him because I think he will get the proper coaching that Darnold and Sanchez and even Gino just did not get. I, I do feel confident in that. I know it's you know weird to say as a Jets fan to feel confident in a coaching staff, but I just have this gut feeling because of Salah. Something about Salah, you know, just the way he connects with players, the way he was like calling guys during the draft. You just felt like guys want to run through a wall for him, similar to Tibbs for my Knicks. So, oh yeah, I feel good about it. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It, it feels like it's coming together at the right time, and they got the quarterback. They're building the receiving core. They're building the offensive line, and they have the right coaching staff in place. Where it was always two that they were going different directions. It never was in lockstep. And now it just feels like it's, it's right. And we're, we're moving forward all at the same pace, at the right time. And it's, it's the reason the Jets fans are, are feeling this way and confident. Like we haven't felt in a long time. And I think it spoke volumes to me when the, you know, they hired Salah and Salah was able to actually like make some big hires. I think that speaks to Salah's character. You know, the floor has been an up and comer for years, and I always knew he would be selective of where he went when he leaves Kyle. He followed Kyle for many, many years. Um, so is Mike McDaniel, who got a promotion there for staying. Those guys were like the, the next guys up in that tree, and they were going to be a little selective of when I leave Kyle, it's got to be for the right job because I got to get that job right if, if I want to be a head coach one day. So it wasn't like, 
oh, LaFleur just went because he wanted a promotion. LaFleur went because it's like, I want the promotion, but I also think Salah is a guy that's going to have success, which will lead to long-term success for my NFL trajectory as an eventual head coach. That spoke volumes to me. John Benton was their offensive line coach. He came over. He was the offensive line coach. All those great Arian Foster years in Houston. He had some hires that were like, oh, wow. Like you actually have pull. People respect you. People believe in you. And that goes a long way in the NFL. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, Connor, you know, looking ahead uh, now, post-draft, post-free agency, what are the biggest holes the Jets still have to fill in your eyes from a positional standpoint? And what do you think are viable, logical options we could actually see? I mean, corner is a mess. And you know what? I'd rather say corner is a mess than offensive line's a mess or receiver's a mess or whatever affects Zach Wilson's a mess. So <laughs> yeah. if you had to choose a mess, you were never going to fix this roster that quickly. You know, it, it, I like Bryce Hall a lot. I want to make, I say this to everybody that asked that question. I think Bryce Hall can really be an answer as a number two outside corner in this defense in a cover three, cover four. Now you, you got to have more, right? You know, mm-hmm. bless Austin, we've seen the up and downs. They have nothing in the slot right now. You're essentially saying Gidry and Michael Carter, the second will battle it out. That's a little bit scary in today's slot in the NFL, you know, unless they think Eccles can get in that battle too. I think when you look at it, you know, I've always heard Sherman wants to go play for a contender. I totally get it. He loves Salah. And yeah. if the offers don't come from a contender and he has to go that way, he'll, he'll then that'll get done maybe. But I, I think he's looking and holding out hope for a contender. And I think that's the route he'll go. Yeah. Nelson just wants money. Don't blame him. Go get your money. I, yeah. You know, that- the Jets, it, it, it's tricky for me. Like, I don't think they need to go overpay and go all in on this year, but you also want a veteran corner to give your defense a shot. So Nelson's interesting when it comes back to it, like bringing back Brian Poole is just such a layup. It's probably gonna be like a one year, $3 million deal. He starts in the slot. He's a good slot corner. If you bring back Poole, then you have Gidry and Carter compete for the backup slot and your long-term option down the road. You don't have to throw them into the fire. And then you have... Hall out on the outside at one side. I don't think Pinnock's ready to play. A lot of people disagree with me, but you can let him and bless fight it out with Lamar Jackson. And it's, you know, it's a lot of, I don't like to say no names, but it's a lot of question marks at corner. Sure. And that's just the reality of the situation right now. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you and you're, you've been talking about this philosophy of just like, make sure the quarterback has everything he needs to succeed. It's okay. If we give up points, we're not expected to be in the Super Bowl or playoffs this year anyway. So I totally agree with that, but one thing to think about, and I know it's far ahead and it's just, you know, since we have like down period of time for the NFL, I've been looking at 2022, seeing what players people think that the Jets might take. The number one guy that everyone keeps saying, and it fits the cornerback need is Derek Stingley Jr. So Meigs is curious from TOJ and so is Dalvin. Like, what are your thoughts on him? And what do you think about him? If, if like we were on the, if we were on the clock and we had him or we had uh, Thibodeau from Oregon, the defensive end, just real quick, curious about that. I know we have a long way to go. No, totally. It's and it's a totally fair question. I mean, you know, I always jump into 2022, usually in June. I try to get 150 to 100 players done over summer. So I have not jumped into this class yet, but I've watched a ton of those guys because they've been superstars at the college level. And, you know, Thibodeau for me uh, would be the dude you get him across from Lawson and you're just screaming on the front four. And that's solid. That's a solid believes in anyway. He, you know, it's a guy that had Defoe and Bosa 
and all these dudes. And, you know, he had D Ford as a situational player. That's how much he loves his pass. That's crazy. Thinking about that now. Yeah. That's how much (laughs) he loves his pass rushers. So, you know, Stingley is interesting. I think the hype train got a little dangerous, a little too fast. I think he had an amazing freshman season. You know, I think he came back down to earth in a way. I think he has all the tools to be a top 10 pick. I think that we still need to see a little more and I like him a lot. I tend to favor LSU players, um, especially for defensive backs for defensive. I should <laughs> yeah. clarify yeah. for defensive backs because the track record of their NFL translation at corner is just unbelievable. And he's a really good one. He could be a great one, but he, this year is a big one for him. But with, with Kayvon Thibodeau, I mean, he's the real deal, man. He's the only guy that gave Vera Tucker even woke him up from a nap during this. <laughs> I mean, it was like it's a good you, analogy. Fall, you fall asleep watching Vera Tucker because um, he's just nobody gets past him. And Thibodeau actually gave him a, a good fight. So I like him a lot. And, you know, if I had to do my uh, way too early Jets pick, I don't I hope they're not bad enough for him. Let me agree. But just in case, <laughs> I think he's going to be a top three pick when all yeah. said and done. But hey, you want to trade the Seattle pick and your other pick and go up and get him. Let's have some fun. I'm in on that. Do would you say he's a better prospect than Chase Young? Because Chase Young was unbelievable. No, I wouldn't. Um, okay. I wouldn't. And, and you know, we could always get there. I, Chase Young was just like, it was hard to find anything wrong with him. I think, and and same with uh, Nick Bosa. Him and Young were really special, special players. They were both. Uh, but I thought Chase Chase Young for me is the best edge I think I've ever evaluated. And yeah, he, I, I and- don't think that'll ever change. Yeah, he just like he basically was everything we thought Jadavion Clowney was supposed to be. That's exactly right. Yeah, no, it's exactly he's just right. a freak. It's it's insane. Like I just like I don't like like Washington, but watching them like watching that defense it was oh. awesome. It was just well, so fun. They're loaded on the front four. Uh, they got more athletic in the middle of the field in the draft. They got shut down corners. I mean, they really with Ron Rivera. I I think they're going to win the East. I really do. And you know, they're not the favorite right now. It shocked me. They're like plus 260, but that team, that team has a lot of talent with the right coach. If Fitz doesn't go full Fitz, um, <laughs> you know, or maybe if he does, I don't know what's the better version, but they're that team, they're loaded. Yeah, I think they're going to win the East, but I think the Giants will definitely give them a nice run for their money too. Giants, Cowboys, you know, we'll learn a lot about Jalen Hurts this year. That division is wide open. Wide open. It is. It is. Um, I, Connor, I know you have to run, but real quick, based on the schedule leaking out, What's your gut pick for the record? Just curious. I know you haven't even probably even looked at it in depth. No, you know, the one thing that jumped out to me is they don't play a lot of great quarterbacks. So that was like, <laughs> oh, like I like I was kind of like, like I couldn't tell are the quarterbacks in the NFL just bad now or did the Jets miss a lot of them? They don't play a lot of great quarterbacks. Um, I have said before the schedule release, I think this is like a seven-win team. Don't forget it's a 17-game kind of year. So you know, I'm about to pull it up right now, but I, the thing that jumped out to me was just like, there's a lot of unknown in that schedule because, you know, Darnold with Carolina's getting a shot. I, I don't expect him to be great. The Patriots will probably start out with cam. The Broncos will play Teddy, you know, Tannehill's fine. Matt Ryan's still really good. We don't know when Burrow's going to be back. He'll we be back know. for that game. I think he'll should, be back for that he game. He should be, but like how quick does it, you know, putting pressure on a leg like that is, it takes guys a while. So, you know, Wentz, we'll see. Josh Allen's great. We'll see mm-hmm. about Tua, who the hell is going to be playing for the Texans. J- Jalen Hurts, probably Jameis Winston. 
Trevor Lawrence, rookie, great player, but rookie. You know, Brady, who by January 2nd, the Bucks might be sitting everyone. That's how freaking. <laughs> and then Josh Allen again, who might be, Josh Allen might be sitting January 9th. Honestly. Yeah. That's... Like, I know I'm, I'm trying to be like an optimist here, and I, I don't think the Jets are going to have a winning record. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. It's nothing like that. I think it's going to be a good building year. Yeah. But that's my – I don't have a lot of schedule takes every year. Like, everybody always wants one. And I'm like, I don't really know. <laughs> as long as they're not playing on Christmas or Thanksgiving, like, it's good for everyone. Um, <laughs> really, that's how I look at it. But that was my one take. I was like, man, I know they don't have any corners, but it is a very underwhelming quarterback schedule. Yeah. yeah. When you like actually said it out loud, cause I didn't like think about I it just that ran way through the entire thing. It's, yeah. it is, it's weird. Cause typically I'm always like, Jets have such a hard start. Like I remember last year, I was going to play Buffalo. Then they play San Francisco, even though Jimmy G was on like one leg, but I'm just like, you know, they always felt like they never get the benefit of the doubt from the schedule makers, but they also were the second worst team in the NFL. So that's probably why it just seems a lot easier, but yeah, I mean, but I the divisions they play too, like, it's yeah. just not, you know what I mean? Like they, they miss the North, which has Lamar Baker, you know, I, I know they play uh, the Bengals, we saw. But, like, I don't know. It's just – it felt like something was just missing here where it's like, oh, great. Like, Mahomes is going to throw 40 on them. Lamar's going to run <laughs> for 300. Like, those kind of things. Like, oh – I mean, think about the teams. that, And I know the Jets were horrific. But, like, the Jets <laughs> had to deal with Mahomes last year, Russ. Like, it was a slaughter on and awful. on and on. Yeah. Awful. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. We so, just... I mean – Elephant in the room, then. What, what do you legitimately think about opening up at Carolina, Wilson versus Darnold, and the, the four-month buildup that we'll probably get to that game? I mean, is, are, you, are you excited to just get it out of the way and then be done with it, or <laughs> would you have rather had it? I yeah. am. I, you know what? I actually don't think it's good for Darnold because no. Darnold needed a fresh start. And mm-hmm. I, there was people always love to talk about, like, especially the people that were like pissed they traded Sam. I think Darnold needed that as much as the Jets needed that. Like, I don't, totally. think, I don't oh, yeah. think Darnold being here this year was, and Mark Sanchez had a great rant on this. Yeah. Um, it was not good for Darnold. Now no. it's like, now you're telling me Darnold's first game is against the Jets. I know it's home. Yeah. Like he doesn't have to come back to MetLife. That would have been kind of weird. But like, I just think like, that's got to kind of suck for Darnold. Because like if he throws a pick, like what is the first oh. like the first thing you think is like, yeah, damn, I'm proving them right. And like <laughs> I don't even think they traded Darnold because like they think he stinks. I know I can tell you for a fact the coaches with the Jets, the new coaches and Joe Douglas, they don't think he stinks. They just loved Zach Wilson and wanted a fresh start for both sides and to reset the clock. Now, I think all we'll hear all week is Darnold versus the Jets, Darnold versus the Jets. It's probably one of the most least interesting parts about the game. I think that the Panthers have three great wide receivers and a running back that's an elite wide receiver, and the Jets have no corners. I think that's fascinating. I think that they have a lot of – they're set at right tackle, but a ton of question marks on their offensive line that the Jets' front four can feast. So it's almost like, can we block long enough to light up this Jets' secondary? That fascinates me. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe in what is it May? It's May twelfth, and I'm breaking down the matchup. Um, <laughs> it's going to be four months of it, so it's fine. Just get started early, you know. I love Brian Burns, but like they don't have a ton of juice on that defensive line to rush the passer. Where if Becton erases Burns, Zach Wilson has time against a corner group that, like, I know they just put a serious asset into corner, <laughs> but like you're not terrified of their corners and safeties. It, the defense has a lot of young talent in Carolina and it's going to, they're going to coach it up and it'll be a really good unit. 
I don't know if it'll be a scary unit week one where the Jets can score some points. I just said Carolina could score a ton of points. I actually, I can't believe I'm saying this. Like when I looked at the week one matchups, I was like, if I wasn't a Jets fan, this is an exciting game. Like this is a, there's a lot to watch. Coaching debuts on the Jets side, Joe Brady with Sam Darnold, all these new pieces on the Carolina defense and offense. So all these new pieces for the Jets. I, I think by the schedule makers, I'm so glad it's not like Jets at Bills, Dolphins yeah. at Jets, like same yeah. nonsense. It's actually like a great, great matchup against two teams that were very bad last year and are expected to be significantly improved this year. Yeah. And I think that Joe Brady's going to dial up that 92 yard bomb to Robbie Anderson just to stick it to us. I think that's definitely going to happen because it just has to happen. Like, <laughs> you know, as I'm excited, I'm excited to see what Joe Brady could do with him. I mean, he made Teddy look pretty decent for most of the season. I know he kind of tailed off at the end, but I think Sam will be fine. I mean, I hope he does well, you know, his fault, but it was time to move on. <laughs> well, now you have, you know, Teddy kind of stirring the pot today. It with their practice habits. So now that's oh, going to be, you know, if you're Carolina, the first question you're going to hear when you do media, and I actually think Matt Rule is doing media this week, ironically. Um, but that's not a Matt Rule question. That's a Joe Brady question more than anything. Is like now Carolina's going to have practice questions. And, you know, they'll be looking to score eight times week one to show like, no, we actually do red zone reps. Like <laughs> there's a lot of good storylines. I never thought I'd say this, but with Jets, Pan- Panthers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, kind of really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, of course, with us guys, no problem. Um, but don't forget if, like I said earlier in the show, you know, if you're not a member on Patreon for Badlands, definitely subscribe. It's the best three or $5 for any Jets fan you'll ever spend. You get in-depth co- coverage. It's not biased and actually fun to read. And uh, you know, they're Joe and Connor are great. And if you haven't followed any of our other podcasts, turn on the Jets podcast um, draft seasons podcast, which is on the same feed and also just reading any of our content on the site, feel free to do that as well. And, really appreciate everyone joining tonight and you know we look forward to having you guys every week and next week we'll be having jake asman take care guys